What if I had um, said today in church, every person who comes to church tonight, Peter and Mata was going to give you $1,000 each. I had to figure out who had the money. Peter and Mata would give every person $1,000. Okay, y'all came, so you get $1,000. Those that didn't come, don't get it. Now, we didn't make anybody come. You chose yourself. But he had already predetermined that whosoever would show up tonight at 6 o'clock would get $1,000. So don't get mad at him because he offered it to anybody. And so those who came get $1,000. God says he offers eternal life to whosoever will. Let him come. And if you do, you get something. You get the free gift of everlasting life. And some people will, some people won't. You cannot make people trust Christ as their Savior. So, here's a few of these. One, the Bible talks about being conformed to the image of His Son, to be just like Christ. Now, the thing is, whenever you trust Christ as your Savior, yes, the new birth is just like the Lord. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. But we're still dragging around this old dead body, and so we, we got a problem until we drop this old body here and we will escape it, and we'll be with the Lord. So we know that one day, yes, when we get to heaven, everything's going to be wonderful. We're going to be in heaven, this new body and everything, and we'll be just like the Lord. And don't have to worry about this old sinful nature anymore. But also, while we're here, God does allow things to happen into your life so that he might conform you to the image of Christ. Now remember this. In the book of Romans in chapter 12, this is not talking about waiting till we get to heaven. This is talking about now, here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Does God want us to do that when we get to heaven or do that now? If he wants us to do that now. All right, then verse 2, be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed. So that means that God wants to transform us now, here, in this present life, in this present world, and He wants us to become more like Him. So that's something that may happen and may not happen. But you and I are to believe that God allows things to happen into our life to conform us to the image of Christ. And He conforms you to Christ and not conforms you to the world. So to be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. So he wants to renew your mind here or there. Now, this is talking about now being conformed to the image of his son. So there's two things here, the present and the future. We know one day we will be, but we're not there yet. But God is still working in us to perform in us. That's in the book of Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 6. This is one of the blessings of God that predestinated is for the believer. That the believer is going to be fashioned, made, transformed, transfigured into the likeness of the image of Jesus Christ. This is why more and more, as you mature in the Lord, you should be growing in grace. Growing in your love, growing in your forgiveness, growing in your compassion, growing in your mercy, growing, growing, growing. That's living by grace. When those 
qualities of God are manifested in our life. It doesn't mean you don't fall, but it means you should fall less and get up quicker. You should have a quicker response. I've been in some cars and you just touch the gas pedal and it wants to jump like a rabbit and jumped about two blocks on you. And then I've been in my diesel that I had for years and you could stomp the floor and uh, you might, you know, move 10, 15 feet and it takes a while. It has a mind of its own. So the response is not there and everybody wants that quick response. So you've got to have more horsepower in there. So... The same thing with the Lord. Number two here, the things you might be suffering at this moment are happening to you to make you more like Christ. You see, we have been blessed that we have been glorified with the Lord. One day we will be actually glorified, we'll be with the Lord, we'll have a new body. But God also says He wants us to suffer with Him. In other words, Christ is in this world living in us. And we will suffer while we're in this world. But one of these days, he's going to take us out of this world and we'll suffer no more. But until then, we must learn to suffer for him. We don't get everything we want. People don't respond the way we think they should. People will walk on you. They will abuse you. You will be defrauded. All kinds of things will happen to you. And the thing is, that you can get mad and fight back and get ugly or you can have a Christ-like spirit and learn how to forgive them, pray for your enemies, love them, and keep going. Because God in heaven is watching, and he's going to make it worth your while when you get to heaven. So understand it and believe that. At the rapture, whether we be dead or alive, it is coming. We are going to be changed and be holy like unto Christ. But that day hasn't come yet. The second thing is the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now, there are several things that you could look at when we talk about adoption. Uh, somebody could be in another family and say you and your uh, wife don't have a child, and so you'd like to adopt the child into your family. Now, it's not your real child, but you can adopt the child into your family, and you can make it legal, give them your name and so forth, and we can call that an adoption. But it's a little bit different in Israel and also some of the Greeks and the Romans. They used to have it where if you were adopted, then you were their child. But when you reached a certain age, well, then you were considered to be a son. You were a child, and therefore mom and daddy was responsible for everything that happened to you because you were a child. But when you hit a certain age, and it could be around 13 of age, that's why daddies and mommies had to make sure that the kids knew all the rules and knew the law so that when they became responsible for their actions and their decisions, that they would be able to suffer the consequences of them. So now they're considered a son. And so the only ones in Scripture that we're talking about, the only ones who can be adopted are God's children. God's children are adopted as sons. Now, let me show you this. We are told that the Christian is predestined unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that the sinner was predestined to become a child of God. So don't think that, well, all the lost people are predestined to become a child of God. No. God's talking about children born becoming sons. Now, notice. It doesn't say that. 
No, but rather the saint has been predestined unto the adoption of children. And something that's going to take place. And it's found in the book of Romans in chapter 8. You can read it. And also in the book of Galatians chapter 4. But adoption simply means to declare as a son or son placed. The fourth chapter of Galatians clearly defines the meaning of adoption. Only a child of God can become a son of God. You say, well, I was a son of God when I was born into God's family. Yes, I know. But there are certain things that God wants us to do. And I was born into God's family. And now, as I begin to grow and to mature, I should begin to accept spiritual responsibilities. For there's a time when you don't know what's right. You don't know what you should do and not do. You're a child. You need to have somebody bring you along and teach you and help you to tutor you and so forth. But there comes a time when God wants you and I to accept the responsibility that he's laid upon us and to serve the Lord. And he says, ye are my sons if you let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you, the Romans chapter 8. You're his son, but you're not maturing in the Lord unless you're yielding and learning how to walk with God. We all need instruction. We need help. And this is why it's one thing to lead somebody to the Lord, but another thing to try to get those people to grow in the Lord. It is the time appointed by the father when his son ceases to be considered a child and becomes a son. Now, in Jewish language over there in Israel, and also we've had a few Jewish people in our church, uh, it's called a bar mitzvah. It's when they, they declare the child to be a son, and they had to teach them the law. I've been over there in Israel, and I've been outside the Western Wall. People call it the Wailing Wall. And I'm talking about there were hundreds and hundreds of people. And they were having a bar mitzvah. And here's all these people, and they're standing at the wall, and they're going like that. And there's these 13-year-old boys. I mean, just all over the place. And the daddies are so proud of them because now they're becoming a son. Well, they're already their child. So it's, it's a term that God uses. Now get this, the boy becomes of age after his 13th birthday on a date selected by the father. So it is with us. We are children of God, but we're awaiting our bar mitzvah, our adoption, the time when our heavenly father will declare us of age and place us as sons before the whole universe. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You see, one day... We are going to lose these bodies, and we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This big change, I believe, is what God is calling our adoption. Now, it may not be. It could be a lot more to it, maybe a lot less to it. But I believe, as according to this scripture, that takes place when we leave this old world, and we are, yes, I am a child of God. And you will read in the book of 1 John chapter 3, where he talks about, beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are the sons of God. But it not, not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So don't get hung up on it. Just know that that's something God will take care of and you don't have to worry about it. You just do all the right you know to do, knowing that God is holding us responsible for the, the things that we know, the things that we do, what we could have done. Does God know... All the potential that you have. Does God know what you could have done with your life? Well, of course. Won't it be interesting to see that when we get to heaven, what we could have done? 
And we might be patting ourselves on the back right now thinking, look how great I am. And God says, look what you could have done if you'd have served me with all your heart. That ought to be scary enough. Predestinated according to the purpose of him. Here's the third blessing for the child of God. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And like I've said before, when God designed this whole thing, he didn't ask us to come into his counsel and give him some good advice. He didn't run it by us first. You see, before God ever made the first man, God had already had a plan. He already had a plan in place. God is simply working out his plan. God knows what he's doing. And it's not, you know, as chaotic as sometimes you see the world and it looks so chaotic. Everything's going wrong. But it doesn't mean that God's not on the throne. God is still God. And God has a plan and he's letting us see how wicked we can be, how wicked the world is. But one day God's going to straighten everything all out. And he has a ways and means committee and that he will do. So why did God do all of this? That we should be to the praise of his glory. In other words, God says in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, that in the ages to come, that we might be to the praise of his glory, little trophies of his grace, so that God can say, look at these little trophies that I got over here. Look what my grace did for these individuals. Because they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve it, but my grace took a person and lifted him up out of the miry clay, put a song in his heart, spring in his step, And so great things can happen. But you'll notice it is not for salvation. When he talks about and uses the word predestination, it's not talking about God predetermining who to save. It's talking about those that have already trusted the Lord, that you and I, God has predetermined that when we believe, we get eternal life, and that we should be to the praise of His glory. And the only way we can be to the praise of His glory is that He saved us by grace. If he saved you by your works, that would be the praise of your glory. And that's not going to happen. Election. According as he hath chosen us. And it's amazing how many people overlook these two little words in him. How did God choose you and me? He chose us because we were already in Christ. He chose the saved. He didn't choose the lost man. He chose the saved man. And he chose to do something for the saved man. And he says, according that he have chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So God has already determined that all of those who trust Christ as Savior that are in him will be to the praise of his glory, blameless and holy, made perfect, his child, go to heaven, All that is an act of God. That's what God's doing. And God is doing all that because that's predestination. It's an act of God. It's what God does. Number two, the New Testament words chosen, chose, and election are the same. The Old Testament word is simply chosen or service. It's for service. It doesn't mean that God chose to save a particular individual over somebody else. 
No, God so loved the whole world, but God chose different people at different times for a particular service. From the above scripture, many have felt that God chooses some to be saved, some to be lost. But those scriptures has nothing to do with saving anybody. This is about somebody who already is saved. Predestination and election choosing have nothing to do with how to be saved, but it is for service. God can use a lost man even to serve a purpose, and he has. From the following scriptures, we learned what the choosing or election of God is about. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also hath conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God has a reason. He said unto her. Now notice what he's talking about when he talks about this election and so forth. The elder shall be saved and the younger shall go to hell. Is that what it said? No, no it didn't say that. It's not talking about going to heaven, going to hell. It's talking about a choice. God says one will serve the other. And so he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. Who would have ever thought God would say, I love this one and I hate this one. And so some people get hung up on this right here. It's like eating at a, you know, a buffet and you've got all this prime rib there and somebody gets choked on a gristle and they can't chew that gristle and so it chokes them and kills them. And when you start reading the Word of God and you come across a gristle like that, when you can't swallow it because it doesn't make any sense, well, spit it out. Don't worry about that one. Keep getting some more. Then go back there later with a a knife and a fork, you know, this verse and this verse, and rightly divide it, and then try to swallow it now. Because it'll make a little bit more sense, because you'll understand you have other scriptures that helps you to understand what a particular verse may say. And so, remember, one represents the flesh birth, one represents the new birth. One represents the flesh, one represents the spirit. So God hates the sinful nature, but he loves the divine nature. You see, one was, you take like Isaac, he was a child born of faith. It was a miracle child. Okay, well then that's what he represents. He represents the spirit. And so on that line. And then you have on the other side, you've got Amalek, you've got Esau and so forth, and Ammon and on down the line. Well, they represent the flesh like. And so he says about Esau, he represents the first birth. The other one represents the second birth. And there's no question. And when God said this, those two individuals, they'd been dead for a thousand years. This was way later. So he's not actually talking about those two people that he loved the one and hated the other one. They represent something. It's what they represented. So election or choosing has to do with service. The elder shall serve the younger. And who was the elder? Esau. And who was the younger? Jacob. Well, what happened to cause the one to have to submit to the other? Remember, being the firstborn in the family, you became automatic heir. Well, he despised his birthright. And when he despised his birthright, he sold it for a mess of pottage. Well, Jacob did not despise the birthright. He wanted it. And so whenever Isaac, his dad, lay dying, he, I guess you'd say there's a little deception there. 
Mama Lou has to get involved, put some skin on him so he would feel hairy, you know, like Esau would. Got some venison and fixed it for him while the other kids out there are going to hunting. He's in there deceiving daddy. But mama's in the, at the bottom of all of this. But when he gave the blessings, and Isaac told him later, he can't take it back. He had already done blessed him. He said, well, give me some blessing. G- give me one blessing. And he says, you're going to have a, a lot of people after you too, a lot of nations. But they've never been blessed like the nation of Israel. Because one despised and one did not. See, God's foreknowledge. But God also did not make any one of them do anything. God tells us what people are going to do. And so always understand that one represents first, one represents the second. In the 15th chapter of John's gospel, the Lord Jesus said he hath chosen or elected them as disciples. For salvation, no, for service. Because he, he chose, he said, I have chosen you. Now he has chosen his own to do a service. God can choose other people. Like I referred to this morning about Cyrus. He chose him to be a servant. And God used him. And so God can use lost people to serve a cause. He used Pharaoh. But he didn't save Pharaoh. He used Pharaoh for a service. Even Judas was chosen for damnation? No. But like Pharaoh, who was a fit vessel under wrath, after being given many chances to believe, he refused and thus was used for God's purpose. So God allows people to harden their heart, and God hardens them by bringing them to a point of decision. They have to make up their mind, choose. And he says, this or this. So God forces the issue, and then they make the wrong choices, and they harden themselves against God. So God is free to use them as a vessel of wrath, Romans chapter 9. Others who will yield themselves to God, God will use them as a vessel of mercy, The prophet Isaiah said that Israel is God's chosen people. Isaiah 41, 8. Does this mean that all Jews are saved? No, it simply means that God has chosen Israel for a service. And we know that that service was, one, to give us the word of God, bring the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, and use Israel as a light to the world. These are some of the things I remarked to this morning. The same prophet Isaiah says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the chosen servant of God. Does that mean that God chose the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? He didn't need to be saved. But he was still a chosen servant. Did God choose his son for a service? And that service was to be the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. And he was the obedient servant of being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Now, this is a good verse because of these two words that tells you how God chose According as he hath chosen us in him. We are in him. God has chosen all those in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So before any man was born, did any good or bad, God had already made a decision. All those who believe on Christ will be in Christ. And God has chosen to give all of those believers that are in Christ the free gift of eternal life. They get to go to heaven when they die. They'll get a brand new body. They'll live for all eternity. And they will be to the praise and honor of His glory. They shall be spotless and holy and without blame. Because, see, they're in Christ. 
God hath chosen those who are in Christ to be holy. Likewise, God has chosen all of his children to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is an act of worship or service, but not for salvation. Anyway, I hope some of these things will be a little clearer for you. I would hate to think you could sit here and listen to me for three or four years, and then you leave here and you go to some church that's Calvinistic. But I would venture to say some of you will in time. And you'll go to some other church. Well, they're not as clear as Calvary. But, and because they are clear, it won't matter because they are. And so they know they are clear. So it doesn't matter if they're not because they know they are. But you listen to it week after week after week after week. And next thing you know, you won't see anything wrong. It works on your mind. Next thing you know, you not only will accept it, you'll promote it. The very thing that once you despised. Remember that. Remember the preacher told you. No, I don't have foreknowledge. But I've watched a little bit over 50 years. This hand represents you and me. This wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. God, he loves us, hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for this sin is eternal separation from God in hell. And if nobody would do this for us, we're all guilty, we're all condemned, and nobody gets to go to heaven. Nobody has eternal life. We're all dying, forever dying, and never die. Wouldn't that be terrible? In the flames of hell for all eternity. No hope. But because of the love of God, there was only one way. Only one way. No two ways. Only one. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, Jesus Christ. And he had no sin, didn't have to die. And so he could give himself for us. So he took our sins and died for us in our place. Came back from the dead and says that if we would believe he did it for us, that he would put that payment to our account, we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Best news in the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're watching by internet, and I hope that maybe that person that was watching from over there in South Africa Trust the Lord. I hope he's watching again. And just think there could be hundreds and thousands of people that tune into the broadcast and may trust Christ as their Savior. Always keep that in mind. Always pray for that, that they will understand. I just want people to understand God loves you. He paid for your sins. Would you believe he did it for you? And if you believe he did it for you, then you have a payment for your sins. That means that you don't have to pay for them. You don't have to pay for your sins. Christ paid for it. You get to go to heaven when you die because you don't have any sins to pay for. God loves you that much. Best news in all the world. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one for being here. And we pray for wisdom, for guidance, for strength, and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.